I'm Mark. How are you? <clears throat> a little frustrated at the moment. Also equally depressed and pessimistic about our date tonight. Sure. Imagine a world where everyone can only tell the truth. I had a little sip of this okay. from right there. I'm with him right now. Seems nice. A bit fat. She's way out of your league. No, I won't be sleeping with him tonight. About everything. I loathed almost every minute that I worked for you. All the time. I've always hated you. You've always hated you. I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of people know it. I wish you could change things. How much are you going to be withdrawing today, sir? $800. It says here that you only have $300. It seems our system has made a mistake. Here you go. Today, I stumbled upon something that no man has ever stumbled on before. The world's first lie. Um, there is a chance this episode is going to be four hours long. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm very excited there's... to get through the synopsis of it so we can just talk about what each of us thinks about death. <laughs> there's there's so much here <laughs> jesus christ oh my god um, i am not surprised that this was one of your favorite movies like and and i'm so embarrassed no why i am so embarrassed no, this, that is this a... was one of my dude don't be because <laughs> i i remember seeing this movie before and it, it still holds up i think it's fantastic also eric andre's in it <laughs> At one point, like, it was great. It's great. There's so much in this film that I need to talk about. Hey everyone, welcome back to Probably Should Have Known Better, celebrating comedy that has aged very poorly. I'm Tony Ginocchio, uh, joined as always by uh, my favorite person in the city of angels. Angels, of course, are not real and are <laughs> invented, uh, and if you believe in them or if you believe in a man in the sky that controls everything, you're a big old stupid fucking idiot, <laughs> and you should be listening to more Ricky Gervais. It's Nadia Vasquez. Wow, I like that. That was a really good intro for me. I love being associated with angels, idiots, and Ricky Gervais. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the title of uh, my next memoir, uh, is just Angels, Idiots, and Ricky Gervais, the Tony <laughs> Ginocchio story. Only, like, six people are going to read it, including me! Yeah. <laughs> Folks, our selection today is... After Garden State, the second movie that I already owned on DVD, <laughs> uh, and it is 2009's The Invention of Lying, yeah. uh, written and directed by Ricky Gervais and Matthew Robinson, a, tr a truly the strangest film we will ever watch for this show. I don't know about uh, that. Don't make that promise. I Well, yeah. <laughs> well, so far. <laughs> so far. But... Um, I, I just, before we even get into what the film is about, because there's just, okay, look, when we record episodes, <laughs> folks, we have, like, a rough idea of what we're gonna talk about before, like, when we're recording Chasing Amy, like, we were like, oh, this is gonna be about how a straight white man writes about queer characters. Right. Like, 
And we kind of knew that going in. We didn't even have to, like, really talk to each other about it beforehand. It was kind of obvious that was what it was going to be about. When we did Garden State, um, it was like, this is going to be about us in high school and, like, how we have changed since then and why we thought this movie was good then and why we hate it now. And why we um, were the worst. <laughs> we were the worst people in high school is why we liked it then. Um right. This movie, there's like eight potential things. I know. It's great. <laughs> I'm really, really excited. Um, but before we get into what it's about, um, it, it, Nadia, uh, it, it, we're still in quarantine. Um, I hope you were staying safe because my understanding is that LA is not doing great. Right. Uh, right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so how are you holding up? What are you watching or reading or listening to to get you through it? Well, if I'm being honest, I'm not holding up well because (laughs) (laughs) the staying home part is fine. I I am very blessed. Should I say blessed in this episode? I'm very probably not blessed to have a Oh, the sky man blessed you. (laughs) The sky man blessed me. Uh, because I have a job and I can still work from home. But the the stupidity of the people around me, which is relevant to this episode, has been really difficult. And when you say the people around you, you mean other residents of L.A. that are, like, not masking up, yep. that are going to bars. Absolutely, yeah. who are still going to restaurants. And uh, there was, I think, a week or two where everything opened back up, and now we, everything is closed back up. I don't know why we were opened, but here we are. Um, but, yeah, it has been pretty difficult. I'm having dreams uh where things are happening in my dreams like a normal dream and then somehow I'll be like I'm not wearing a mask and then I'll wake up so <laughs> it's been it's been really a touch and go kind of situation for my psyche but to combat that I have been watching some things uh I have been slowly going through Midnight Gospel on Netflix yeah how is you know cuz I love Pendleton Ward I love Adventure Time um but Midnight Gospel from what I understand is like it it's um borrowing from like an interview show right right uh i i forget our listeners are gonna get so annoyed with me but i'm listening to it or i'm watching it because uh there are a lot of spiritual gurus who are on that show Mm -hmm. uh but they're the animation doesn't always match up with what they're talking about sometimes there's a lot going on stimulus wise so that's why i'm going through it pretty slowly it's not an easy (laughs) binge but it is pretty great uh but you know it does touch upon the uh what life is about which of Mm -hmm. course is relevant to this episode that we're going to talk about today i'm very excited to talk about it because i don't (laughs) think we've ever gone into any kind of detail on our individual spiritual journeys so i'm pretty stoked we're gonna we're gonna get into that (laughs) but what have Um, you been watching well you know it's interesting because a lot of what we do on this podcast is talk about stuff that um sometimes handles hot button subjects and and did so like in a way that was appropriate for its time perhaps but really wouldn't hold up now in 2020 Mm -hmm. and i'm kind of doing one of those right now because i'm just kind of going through all my old comedy central box sets oh amazing and i'm watching right now um one of my old uh favorites one that i actually wrote my essay to get into the ucb advanced study program on (laughs) Uh, which is uh, the Sarah Silverman program. Oh, very cool. I um, forgot that we had to write an essay to do that. Yeah, it's stupid, and it's probably good that they're collapsing. Um, <laughs> so 
the Sarah Silverman program, I would say not all of it holds up 100% because, like, the whole conceit of the show is, like, every episode tackles a different extremely taboo or hot-button subject. Right. Um, but uh, there are two things uh, that I want to call out. One is the secret weapon of the show, and if, if you talk to anyone who's seen it, they'll tell you the same thing, is Brian Posehn and Steve Agee who play Sarah's gay couple neighbors. <laughs> um, but they are... It's Brian Posehn and Steve Agee basically playing themselves. They're, They're both amazing. Like, yeah, gigantic, like, stoner, metalhead, <laughs> D&D um, dumbasses. And they just... And they build like this really sweet relationship over three seasons um and it's the show won a glad award for having like a non-stereotypical depiction of a gay couple oh wow um yeah maybe we should watch this for the pod uh we could um and there's i i'm pretty sure there's a blackface episode coming up um and i'm like i don't know (laughs) Um, of course there is so there's that, but the other thing is there's a line in the pilot which I feel is especially relevant right now. It's it's really really powerful. Is uh, Sarah Silverman uh, was uh, her character is is driving while she's zonked out on cough syrup and she ends up crashing her car, and uh, a cop played by Jay Johnson, um, you know, knocks on her window to wake her up and Sarah Silverman looks out her window, rolls it down, and the cop says, "Do you know why I'm standing here?" And Sarah Silverman looks at him, sees he's a cop, and says, "Because you got all C's in high school." <laughs> beautiful uh so that's uh that's really good um so the invention of lying the invention of lying i am zero percent surprised that this is one of your favorite movies so yeah this was i watched this film for the first time uh probably a few months after it came out because i like rented it this was when i was living on my own for the first time i was in a job where i was in a hotel three nights a week I was on the road for an ungodly number of hours. I was I was sick a lot. I had I had a, a chronic illness that I hadn't gotten treated yet. I didn't know what it was. Um, I was so friggin' bored and lonely Aww. all all the time. And one Friday night, when I had nothing else planned, I went to Blockbuster Video, which still existed uh, <laughs> in, in Cincinnati in two thousand nine, and I saw that i saw this on the shelf i'm like oh yeah 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 i saw the preview for this this looks kind of funny um i'll check it out um and i watched it that night and i was like in tears i was like this movie is amazing it's (laughs) brilliant it's laugh out loud funny it's so moving it stars all these brilliant people that i love comedic legend jeffrey tambor and i'm sure nothing bad will ever come out about him the the genius comedian louis ck someone who i admire a great deal and i'm so excited to see what he comes up with next uh rob lowe who fucked a 16 year old that one time (laughs) um and uh and I just was overwhelmed with how amazing this movie was. I made my parents sit down and watch it. I made my then-girlfriend, now-wife, sit down and watch it. Um, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. And watching it today, I am like... First of all, there is a good movie in here somewhere. Yeah, it's a great I movie. I do think there's... 
do think there's a good movie in here somewhere. But there is a double bait and switch that happens in this movie. <laughs> uh, which, uh, the first one I'm kind of okay with. The second one I'm definitely not okay with. <laughs> um, so the plot of the film. This film takes place in an alternate universe in which nobody has the ability to lie. Um, and it's weird because also nobody has the ability to not tell the truth like there's no such thing as tact either so everybody's just saying everything that comes into their well that would be technically lying by omission yes yeah yes that's a good point so ricky gervais is mark bellison he is a down and out uh screenwriter um he is trying to fuck jennifer garner uh but she is not having it um and uh what happens is uh he basically spontaneously just develops the ability to lie and the other weird rule in this universe is because nobody can lie everything everyone says is just believed automatically right um so he basically has the ability to kind of shape reality however he wants it yeah Um, he gaslights the entire world gaslights the entire world so he gets a bunch of money by lying about uh a casino there's actually a very good scene i think an interesting scene in which he invents narrative fiction mm-hmm. uh which didn't exist and we'll talk about that scene later um but and this is the first bait and switch in the film <laughs> his mother is dying and she is scared to die because she is scared of oblivion and he invents the concept of heaven to comfort her on her deathbed word about this gets out and the entire world is is taken with this because like oh my god this man has information about what happens after you die so he invents god he invents religion um it is all a giant lie which is i think consistent with what ricky gervais believes as a person um and again i think it kind of works at least in some respects yeah um in the film Um, because he is able to construct some sort of basic humanist morality that kind of helps the world go along. Then the second bait and switch happens, (laughs) in which the film mainly becomes about how Jennifer Garner will not fuck men who look like Ricky Gervais. Right. And then the movie goes from an atheist subreddit to the incel subreddit, (laughs) in which... Ricky Gervais just vents his spleen for all of Act 3 of this film in explaining that, oh, well, beautiful women won't fuck men that look like me because they genetically want to make sure their genes are passed on to good look- through good-looking men um, to create good-looking children to give them the best chance in life. So even though a less good-looking man like me could make you happy, you are wired to think that a beautiful man like Rob Lowe will make you happier, even though that's not true, and even though the right thing to do would be to be with me. And again, I wrote this film, and I wrote myself into the film as as a writer who literally can talk to God. <laughs> well, okay, I can justify all of that because <laughs> narrative fiction doesn't exist, so there have been no comedians who have written <laughs> movies where they can cast a beautiful woman where I count as a plot hole, a beautiful woman uh, <laughs> would fall in love with him <laughs> and he yeah. would be the hero of the story. This yeah. this whole idea of a really not conventionally attractive comedian who has a terrible personality doesn't exist that trope 
who is still lovable, of course. That trope doesn't exist. So in a way, he kind of invented that genre in this movie. So <laughs> the whole, the King of Queens syndrome, basically, exactly. is what that's called. <laughs> um, uh, this movie came out in 2009. This was a Blacklist um, script by Matthew Robinson. Um, the Blacklist is a collection of scripts that have not been made, but are like really buzzed about. Um, so like a lot of movie, like Juno was a blacklist script too. Hell yeah. Like a lot, a lot of movies and like get published in this blacklist at the end of the year, every year. And then they go on to become like Oscar winners. Not this one. Um, but Matthew Robinson sent the script to Ricky Gervais on a whim. He loved it. He flew Robinson out to London to retool the script, uh, to be about how God doesn't exist and also his weird sexual revenge fantasy. <laughs> um, they wanted to get Spike Jones or Michelle Gondry to Ooh, direct. Oh, Michelle Gondry would have been so good. Right, it's very much in his wheelhouse, right? Yeah. Um, and then they decided to do it themselves, which I'm going to say was the wrong move. I agree. I feel like Michelle Gondry would have been like, hey guys, can we try something? <laughs> yeah. Anything yeah. else? Well,. That's the other thing is I don't say this about a lot of films we do. This film is really poorly directed. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of all over the place. But I got to say, I liked it. <laughs> you liked it? I did. I did. Okay. I hadn't watched it in a long time. And I was just like, this is not a bad movie. I, of all the movies that we have watched, usually afterwards I'm enraged. But <laughs> but after watching this one, I was like, oh, it's pretty good. More than anything else, I am embarrassed after watching this one. I just <laughs> it's I feel okay. so you've grown, sad you know things that I now. Like this one. Um, but this is a product of 2009, same year as uh, he's just not that into you, I believe. That's right. Um, this movie basically was a modest success. It broke even domestically, um, grossed 18.5 million off a budget of 18.5 million. I don't know how this movie cost 18.5. Well, I do know how it cost 18.5 million to make because Gervais called in every single fucking favor he had to cast this film. Yes, he did. Um, <laughs> just, just an insane cast in this uh, movie. Um, basically his passion project because it's about how God doesn't exist. And that's fine. That can be your passion project, but it's so weird. It's so fucking weird. It's definitely weird. Um, it's definitely one of the weirder movies that i've seen in my whole life <laughs> yes i do love uh, a good but, alternative reality movie generally you yes. know that involves some sort of magic or space travel but what this women is, want yeah hey. or, or yeah or some sort of magic that happens from like a fortune cookie like freaky friday but yes but this this was pretty good i i liked the idea of it once the second bait and switch happened i was like okay this is going in a different direction than i thought yes. but then the third one i was like this movie is long I want to cut it. <laughs> yes. But it generally is good. Okay, so I think we're going to have a very interesting discussion. Ooh, okay. Um, but uh, before we do that, um, are there any former current events of note from 2009? I know we just did 2009 recently, but is there any anything else we should know? Yeah, you know, I, I thought of taking a different approach because I, I'm very excited to talk about things on this podcast that we generally don't talk about religion spirituality so my yeah. my former current events are religious former current events okay. yes so um i went on a bunch of websites that made me feel like i needed to delete my internet history really <laughs> really soon afterward um 
I got some information from Pew Forum, P-E-W, like the Pew yes. in a church, dot org, which made me laugh. Uh, there were 5% more news stories about religion this year. Uh, one is because the Pope was on tour. Uh, one of mm -hmm. the reasons why, I mean, is the Pope was on tour and uh, his trip to the Middle East accounted for 4.5% of all religious news that year. But the remaining top religious stories happened because of President Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, earlier in the year in his for his inauguration, he had evangelical pastor Rick Warren do a prayer during his inauguration yes. ceremony, as well as the openly gay Episcopal Bishop Gene Robinson. And that mm. caused quite a lot of uh, hullabaloo from both sides. And so that accounted for quite a lot of the religious news. Additionally, mm. Bill O'Reilly from Fox News... Uh, had, friend of the show. Friend of the show, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. <laughs> during one of his Talking Points memo uh, segments, stated that the president is a secular guy. And he proceeded to describe some incidents he felt were indicative of Obama's approach to religion in the public sphere. For instance, uh, Obama spoke at Georgetown University, and a, re a religious symbol behind him was covered, which was requested by President Obama. And he did not choose a home church once in office and mm -hmm. did not attend the National Day of Prayer events. So according to Fox News and Bill O'Reilly, Obama was a heathen. Was a heathen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two more uh, events of that year. While Obama was in Turkey during his first visit there, he stressed the positive impact of Islam on the United States and the world, which generated some backlash from conservative talk show hosts, because of course it did. Uh, yeah. Radio broadcaster Michael Savage argued that Obama was wrongfully defending Islam during the visit. Quote, Obama said that Islam has made contributions that have shaped or shaken the world, including my own country. So I said, I couldn't think of one contemporary Islamic contribution to America other than Obama, Barack Hussein Obama, their mouthpiece, end quote. Uh, additionally, this was a really top story in the religious arena. I've never heard of any of these things. In May, the topic of abortion and Catholicism appeared in the news when Obama delivered the University of Notre Dame's commencement address. So, yeah, that kind of brings us to the next topic. That was my commencement. Oh, my God. You saw Obama? <laughs> yes. That's incredible. <laughs> so uh, that, uh, that was a really significant event in my life in terms of how I viewed uh, religion. Wow. Um, because for the entire six to eight weeks between the time he was announced as our commencement speaker and the time he gave uh, my commencement address. Um, there's just all sorts of protests and bullshit everywhere. And most notably, um, I would say most of the students, like, by and large, were very excited that he was coming. Mm -hmm. Most of the alums, there were a couple, like, grumpy old people, but it's it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but most of the people who were causing problems were people that had no... Um, ties to the university whatsoever. It was anti-abortion activists, right. uh, most notably like Randall Terry and Operation Rescue. And uh, for the three weeks leading up to um, my commencement, there was a low-flying aircraft uh, over my university with a banner of uh, an aborted fetus oh. uh, behind it. Um, 
saying uh like the this is what you're honoring i think was the the phrasing i think they used the wrong your if i remember oh correctly oh my um, god she's not something you want to do to notre dame students they they know they're yours um yeah. and so so you know what i do like now in my spare time is like i research and i write about psychopath catholics right um who are like shitty people in the real world and um this was, I think, a, a large part of like the impetus for for me being like, hey, you know, a lot of the a lot of the people in the Catholic Church really seem to suck. Yeah, um, interestingly enough, this particular piece of news involves Randall Terry. Uh, yeah, he he started a website called StopObamaNotreDame.com, right? No, I'm familiar. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, his big quote that made the rounds in that time was, "quote Human life is being snuffed out because of President Obama, and they're honoring him." End quote. Yeah. So that is not surprising that it, it took a whole new level of quote unquote activism that they did the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just real quick, folks, it's imaxafterlife.substack.com uh, for my newsletter on shitty Catholic people. My piece on Randall Terry was from back in December. Um, I talked about uh, the profiles of him that were written going all the way back to, I think, 87. Um, I talked about uh, the fact that he kept all of the money from Operation Rescue for himself and used it to buy a house. Uh, I talked about the fact that he what? disowned his gay son <gasps> publicly. Uh, I talked about uh, several other shitty things uh, that he's done. And most importantly, I listened to and review his country album uh, because <laughs> he is a failed country musician and I found his album. Wow. And it's very bad. Uh, I mean, I'm wondering so. why somebody who is so awful hides behind the gospel. Yeah, well, I don't have an answer for that yet. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, we're probably going to get into all this at some point, so yeah, let's let's are. talk about the box office. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, there's not much more to say. Basically, this was a passion project for Gervais, and it broke even. Like, it, it wasn't, I think, a huge smash hit, but it did okay. Broke even in the U.S., did okay in the U.K. It, it also bears mentioning where this lands in Gervais's career, so this movie came out in 2009. So at that point, the U.S. office had been on for, like, four years. Right. Um, so it was already, it already had plenty of traction and, and was getting kind of its foothold, and already really had its foothold in the culture, I would say. The UK office was already recognized as kind of a masterpiece of British television. Um, and I'm pretty sure by this point, Gervais had already done extras as well, which was um, oh, so a series good. he did on HBO, which I really liked. Yeah. It's a great um, one. And uh, that's one I need to go back and rewatch, and uh, we'll see how that one goes. Um, I watch the really Daniel Radcliffe one often. It's very funny. It's good, where he has just the unwrapped condom. Yeah. Just, <laughs> 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 um, just, just carrying it it's around. It's so gross. <laughs> it's very good. It's a, I don't know how well it holds up. I haven't seen it in a little bit, but I used to watch it a yeah. lot. Um, but, but basically, he was already a, a big, big name in comedy, um, and he Stephen had also Merchant hosted well. the uh, Golden Globes by that point. Yes, yeah. Um, and let's just talk about who's in this film, which is like everyone, you know, te- everyone, Tina Fey, Rob Lowe, Jennifer Garner, Louis C.K., <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor, Jonah Hill, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Ed Norton, 
Um, uh, Eric Andre uh, John, has a small cameo in it. Yeah, Eric Andre, John Hodgman, uh, just uh, just keeps like kind of um, just a, a remarkable cast for a truly, truly bizarre film. Um, I really, so, I want to get through the synopsis and the the kind of walkthrough of the whole thing yeah. because I want to talk to you about death. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> and then, of so course, let's... you know, comedians who want to fuck hot ladies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so, look, guys, look, guys, Jennifer Garner is a very pretty woman. Like, I will not deny that, but I would not write a whole movie about how she won't fuck me. Right. Yeah. Um. It's it's a little... I understand... Okay, though, in the, the realm of this universe, when we meet Jennifer Garner... You know, she's getting picked up on a date from Ricky Gervais. She is very mean to him outwardly in this mm-hmm. world where there is no lying. So there yeah, is... she's like, I'm not excited about her date this evening because look at you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you're, you're fat and you have a snub nose. And yeah. she's like, you know, I don't see a future with you because genetically speaking, we wouldn't make kids that I would want. And so I'll just go on this date. It's fine. And so in my head, I'm like, okay the rule is they cannot lie so that will also include politeness because when yeah it includes like tact right because when you are being tactful and being polite there is a certain level of keeping things to yourself and that in itself is lying by omission so at this point anything goes and everybody (laughs) kind of has to be okay with that and you can you can express that it hurts your feelings but Ricky Gervais doesn't. Yeah, he kind of, it's weird because he, he can never stop being Ricky Gervais. Right. So, like, he does react to all of that. And nobody else does at any point. Whenever anyone else in the film is told, like, a very unkind truth, they just kind of take it in stride. Right. Um, and Ricky Gervais, you, you always get the reaction from her like, when she's like, you know, I just don't find you attractive. He's like, oh, well, did you need to say that out loud? Um, right. So, so you always get that. Yeah. So I, I, the rules of the universe aren't super clear. So at this point, I'm just like, all right, I can't be controlling right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think the rules are um, messed up because <laughs> the other, and the other rule, like we say, is like everybody just believes everything right. right away. There's no skepticism. There's no um, questioning what's presented to you. So once Ricky Gervais is able to lie, he can, he can, he will be believed right away. Right. So the date is, the, the first date is kind of this opening scene. He picks up Jennifer Garner. Um, he does a little narration over the credits. Uh, the narration over the credits and the font of the credits specifically are both meant as a tribute to Woody Allen, uh, who, which I think that's a super great. And so. <laughs> Christ. Um, the date is interesting because this film started as a sketch. Um, this was a sketch by Matthew Robinson originally about two people who go on a date that are unable to lie. Oh, that was the, okay. Yeah, that was the original, um, idea. So this opening scene is kind of how that would have looked, right? Right, right. Um, I wrote so down like, some of you? my favorite lies and one of yeah, them go. was a guy who was calling in sick to work and he goes, no, I'm not sick. I just hate it there. <laughs> I love that. Some of these lies are just not lies, but, but truths. Right, and I loved, <laughs> I loved it, and that kind of that got me hooked to it. But then, then when they start interacting with each other, it's like, oh god. 
Yeah, no, and the beginning of the film when they're when they're just laying out all these like brutal truths everyone's telling is very funny. Like, there's a scene where Ricky Gervais is watching a commercial for Coke, and, <laughs> and the spokesman is like, "I'm the spokesman for Coke. Look, you've all had Coke. We haven't changed it. We put a little polar bear on the bottle, but same formula. It it works. Yeah, the pol- we're asking the polar you to continue buying Coke. Yeah, yeah." <laughs> Um, like the, the, the fact that advertising, which is, you know, built on, um, misleading people at the very least, um, or, uh, emphasizing things when you don't necessarily have to is, you know, it's interesting to see how that plays out. I love the Um, Pepsi one, which is. Yes. When they don't have Coke. Pepsi when they don't have Coke. It's fantastic. (laughs) I really wish that this was real. That, that would be, uh, if there was honest advertising, I would, yeah. I would probably be more happy for sure. So you have the, you have the date between the two of them and, uh, uh, Ricky Gervais and Jennifer Garner and basically like a friend set them up and Jennifer Garner is like, well, I'm out of your league, but I'm just going to do this as a courtesy to you. And there's all sorts of like kind of funny lines where like Martin Starr is the waiter and, <laughs> and he's, and he like brings the, um, mango martini to Jennifer Garner. He's like, I had a little sip of that right there. <laughs> um, right. And Jennifer Garner o- orders a Caesar salad with chicken and she says, I'll have the Caesar salad because I think I'm fat, but I also want something that tastes good. Mm-hmm. And so that, 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 that part, I was just like, okay, I think, I think I like, I think I'm kind of tracking. Yeah. I'm, I'm tracking um, this. This is nice. The other interesting thing, and like we kind of made reference to earlier, so there's no such thing as as fiction of any kind, right. including narrative fiction. So every movie, <laughs> there's still entertainment, but the movies are just lectures. It's literally Christopher Guest, it's Christopher Guest, uh, <laughs> sitting in a chair telling you, like, uh, about a Napoleon war campaign, um... And that's that's what film is in this universe, which is interesting, very weird, but it's interesting. I like that choice. I think it, it's it's a statement. Well, it pays off later. Yeah, for sure. And it's also I I didn't realize that narrative fiction can be considered a lie, but it is kind of like this doesn't exist. So well, I mean, have you seen Galaxy Quest? Because they go into detail on all of this. Right, right, right. And can you have you also <laughs> seen that movie Love with that guy? who is not cute and he's supposed to fall in love with that really hot girl from community. That's a lie. Uh, oh yeah. Paul, <laughs> Paul Rust and yeah. Gillian Jacobs. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I sound like my mom, you know, that guy from that movie with the glasses. <laughs> uh, so other things that I like in the, in the, op- in the first few scenes, um, he walks past a homeless man and the homeless man is holding a sign saying, I don't understand why I'm homeless and you're not. Yeah. And that, that kind of is like a little moving. Yeah. Um, when he gets to his office at the, he, he's a screenwriter for lecture films. When he gets to his office and there's a woman standing outside that's just like looks nervous and is like, I just don't want to go in there today. Like, yeah. I felt like that before. Totally. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. That's the part of the movie where I was really in because yes. they got a lot of universal truths right in just a few seconds. But you know, it takes a turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna take a turn. Yeah. Um, and then we learn that his boss, hell yeah, it's Jeffrey Temple. Yeah. You know what's really sad is I was a really big fan of his because uh, I used to watch Three's Company with my grandpa all the time, uh-huh. and his he had a character on that show, and every time I recognized him outside of it, I would always associate that to like good and warm fuzzy feelings of my grandfather, and now he... I have to rethink my whole life. <laughs> he has turned in. 
incredible com- comedic performances throughout his career and also is abusive. Yeah, <laughs> it's really sad. Um, Rob Lowe uh, is kind of the main antagonist in this film. He's like the, the screenwriter who's the hotshot. Um, and again, just kind of want to reemphasize Rob Lowe in real life. Fucked a 16-year-old. Weirdly, I can't hit him too hard for that because it was legal. Because in Georgia at the time, the age of consent was 14. Oh, Christ. (laughs) So. Okay. uh, So, yeah, that um, kind of a good news, bad news, I guess, is how. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Well, Um, it's. The ca- and then his assistant is Tina Fey. <laughs> yeah, and she is really fan. I sent Tony, you know that Tiffany Pollard scene uh, <laughs> where she says Beyonce? That meme, I sent Tony one that I made that said Tina Fey because I just couldn't believe that she was in this. She plays a small role, but it's pretty significant. This was probably pre-Mean Girls. Uh, no, it was. It, it, this was after Mean Girls. This was 09. Oh! This, 30, 30 Rock was on for, like, three years at this point. Wow, it's interesting. Well, she plays his assistant that, like, really just hates him and tells him about it. She's yeah. just like, I Only, just fucking She hate says you. the only slur in the film said by Tina Fey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really bad. Um, but, yeah, so he's... Ricky Gervais' character is about to get fired. Because yes. he, he got the 13th century for lectures... And his stuff about the Black Plague is just boring. It's just nobody wants to see films about the Black Plague, which I feel also holds up today. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally, especially now. Yeah. Um, what do you think the first shitty movie about the pandemic is going to be? Uh, it's going to be a white savior project. Yeah, that's it. Yes, I was going to say it's going to be a stupid like indie thing. Yeah, it's going to um, be uh, somebody who's a doctor, probably. Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, there is a line here I wanted to call out, which is Rob Lowe saying to Ricky Gervais, I don't like you. I've always hated you. It, it, Rob Lowe's a good actor. Like He's, he's got, so he's good. got good, good delivery in this. Um, and, but he says, I'm still intimidated by you. There's something about you I don't understand. And that's very important to understanding this film is Ricky Gervais will have people who look better than him tell him that Ricky Gervais is still a threat to them. That's important for Gervais to hear, I think, kind of on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's also good for his character. Yes. Uh, it's an interesting... Is he Manic Pixie dream himself? Yes. Okay. I'm just going to say yes. Like, I maybe you wanted more of a discussion on that, but the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's interesting because, like we said, when people insult him, he reacts, whereas other people just kind of let it slide off their back when mm-hmm. people praise him he reacts whereas people just are like yeah i know <laughs> so he is this person that is on the verge of being sensitive yes maybe he's trying to paint himself as like an artist i don't know yeah but he is making himself out to be special yeah and uh tina fey calls him a fat and then she says a slur which i will not repeat on the podcast thank you um but um, it is specifically from, borrowed from a Louis C.K. stand-up bit. <laughs> um, so we'll get to him in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he gets fired by Jeffrey Tambor. Um, and he uh, his rent is due. He doesn't have any 
he's only got $300 in his bank account. His landlord's like, well, then rent a truck and move out. So he goes to the bank. He's like, I need to make a withdrawal from my account. And the bank teller's like, you know what? Our computer system's down. How much do you need to withdraw? And that is when he invents the first lie. Yeah, and it turns into some sort of brain animation. <laughs> yes. So we get we get the weird house um, zoom in, <laughs> zoom in through his forehead to the brain. You see a synapse fire, and he's like, "I have eight hundred dollars in my account." And the computer system boots back up. The woman says, "Well." says here you have 300 she's like well maybe there was a mistake so again it's not that everyone's credulous it's that everyone's credulous and will reject any other evidence to the contrary besides what ricky gervais tells them right that's another rule they that have, comes up they have no memory they have no um other way of processing information it's bizarre but he's done something incredible one he can pay his rent and, and two he now has the ability to lie in a world where no one else can do that or knows what it is right so he and, he's like, I'm going to go tell my friends. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, I better tell my friends. And his friends are Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is a bartender. May he rest in peace. Uh, may he rest in peace. And Louis C.K., ah! who, is, who was his friend in real life and probably, let's be honest, still is. Yeah, they're probably still uh, hanging out. <laughs> um, uh, they're quarantining together. there are multiple lines that Louis C.K. gets in this movie that really hit different. <laughs> 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 yeah so ricky gervais asks his pals so if you could do anything yeah. you wanted without any any consequence. any consequences whatsoever what would you do and louis ck says uh i touch another lady's boobs <laughs> now again i'm assuming the original draft of the line was i would jerk off in front of a woman <laughs> and Ew. threaten and threaten her with the end of her career if she said anything about it to anyone. Right. But, then, but they were like, let's cut that for time. They're like, it's a little clunky. Let's just try and <laughs> tighten it up. <laughs> let's talk about boobs. And right. so Ricky Gervais goes out into the world and he sees this beautiful woman. And he's like... Also, he well, he sees like three women that he does not consider beautiful that he's like oh god there's nobody here i can like deceive into fucking right 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 but then he sees this hot lady and he's like yes listen the world is going to end if we do not fuck right now and the lady of course because there's no lying and everybody takes everything as truth says we need to fuck <laughs> like do, should we go to <laughs> right a, should we do it right now or should we go to a hotel and he's like all right let's go to a motel and they do yeah and he feels bad about it yes so he does feel guilty about it. Um, so in in one rare, dis one rare point in the movie where he makes a decision for someone else's good and not his own, he uh, he's like, "Oh, uh, got a call from NASA here. Hello. Oh yes, the world's not ending anymore. We don't have to fuck." Right. Um, so this is supposed to show us that he's a good guy. Yes. Okay. I guess. All right. Um, and then uh, he goes back to the bar and he goes back to ck and he's like what would you do and ck's like i would touch girls boobs he's like no no, no we gotta think of something else he's like oh we should get a lot of money and so they start driving to the casino now ck is driving he's drunk off his ass he gets pulled over for a dui ed norton <laughs> is the cop uh speaking in an exaggerated um massachusetts accent the film was shot in massachusetts but they never say where they are um because it's an alternative universe right um and but ed norton did his research 
Oh yeah, well, he's not going to phone it in. No, no, no. Like he's, I guarantee he's you, incredible. Philip Seymour. Philip Seymour Hoffman probably got a job as a bartender for four weeks <laughs> leading up to the five minutes of screen time that he had right, in this movie. Right, right. And Edward Norton uh, worked with a dialect coach. Yeah. So, you know, we had some good stuff uh, going on. Good work. Tremendous actor. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, but Ed Norton walks up to the car. Do you write down what he said? <laughs> I didn't, know. Okay, Ricky Gervais says, how are you, officer? And Ed Norton says, well, I'm relieved you're not a couple of black guys. Much higher chance I'd be jumpy, shoot you without provocation, and then I'd lose my weapon. Which is an insane line in 2020 because obviously he would not lose his weapon. (laughs) Obviously he would be praised. Yeah. Oh, God. He he might get two weeks desk duty and that's it. Or Uh, promoted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um... So, anyways, they they basically tell him, hey, Louis C.K. is not drunk, and it all works out. They go to a casino. They get a bunch of money. Wait, wait, wait. Just to clarify, we think cops are disgusting. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) That goes without saying. In case that wasn't clear in the past, like, four episodes where this has come up. (laughs) The... Uh, They go to a casino. They lie about winning at roulette. They get a bunch of money. um, So that takes care of that. And then... Very interesting scene here where he goes back to his apartment and he runs into Jonah Hill, who's his neighbor. Jonah Hill has been very upfront throughout this film about how he is on the verge of taking his own life. So sad. And Ricky Gervais, like, in the previous scenes where he ran into him, like, can't do anything to talk him out of it or anything. I mean, he could have. Well, (laughs) but, but he... Stops Jonah Hill in the elevator this time, now that he's able to lie. And he says, you shouldn't kill yourself. But is, it, is that a lie? Well, that's the, that's the thing, is he says, everything is going to be all right. And it's like, he wasn't able to say that before he gained the ability to lie. And it's like, is the biggest lie we tell ourselves everything is going to be all right? And now, all of a sudden, it's a very dark message, but it's like... Something where I'm like, wow, this movie makes me laugh and think. And okay, but wait. And, but yeah. telling somebody you shouldn't kill yourself is not a lie. That's not a lie. That's a good point. So he could have said something in the... As everybody says things that are mean and says everything that's on their mind, he could have said in the elevator, don't do that. And he could have been like, right. why? Because that is a dumb thing. That's not, the, you know... Right, that's not going to solve the problem, right. Exactly. So how is that a lie or not a lie yeah so it's complicated it's man. A complicated but, but thing. then he says everything is going to be all right which clearly the way the film is directed is meant to be shown as a lie right okay um and it's like God, it's so dark damn. it's so dark that's really dark um but you're like but also i i kind of get it yeah and it's like i'm kind of I'm kind of still on board with it. I'm definitely on board with it in the next scene because the next scene's a montage, right? Right. Um, set to um, uh, the Cat Stevens song, but it's Elvis Costello covering it. It's Sitting by Cat Stevens. Um, and he he starts helping people. Right. He takes a homeless man to the bank and gets him a ton of money. Yeah. He, like, helps a couple on the street reconcile... Um, he goes to the nursing home where his mom lives and he like cheers up all the old people um 
yeah so it's just I w- like all i wonder what he i wish i think it would have been a little more powerful if we had heard some of the things that he said yeah but i don't think the two writers are smart enough to come up with <laughs> something like two things that are nice yeah <laughs> yeah yeah sure <laughs> um but eventually we he starts using this power for good but then he thinks yes. how am i going to use this for myself and my own good right. so, so he reaches out to jennifer gardner calls jennifer gardner <laughs> and he's like look i i think that i'm fun i can i can show you a good time i know you're really pretty and out of my league but I think we should go out again. And she's like, I, I sent you an email before that said that that was not going to happen. Yeah. And he he said, there's a line here where he says, I found out I can pretty much have my life the way I want it, which is a weird line, but um, uh, explains why he's calling Jennifer Garner and also to poor lonely 2009 Tony in his apartment in Cincinnati <gasps> um, was was good for him to hear maybe. Oh, baby tone. Uh, I was not a baby. I was like 22. But <laughs> the, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. So he asks her out again, and he's like, I also want to get my job back. Um, and then we get to, I think, my favorite scene in the movie, um, which is the invention of narrative fiction. Right. Which he writes on binder paper. He writes on binder paper and dips it in coffee so it looks yellowed. Right. Um. But he basically writes this insane um, screenplay, uh, like science fiction, aliens landing, Amazon women, all sorts of things that he just pulls out of his ass. And because it's like an interesting, unique story, he reads it to um, reads it to Jeffrey Tambor and uh, they love it and they make it into a movie and it uh, becomes a smash hit. Question. Yeah. Most of these things in the movie are they real in this universe he did mention ninjas at one point so are they thinking historical ninjas or like a ninja turtle you know like what the like how do they know because i think some of the things that he mentions are more lore and less Mm -hmm. well there's aliens and there's amazons and stuff like that so like aliens so then in this universe aliens are real are they real? If nobody can lie and everything is the truth, then aliens have been... And they're able to understand what an alien is, yeah. So aliens have been around. They've maybe been, like, canonized. Oh like, what... What? I, I think I need a minute. Because <laughs> uh, he can't... <laughs> Ricky Gervais himself couldn't have come up with these things without having to explain what needs, they were. He needs a framework, right. Exactly. So if on. these pe- exactly if right. people yeah. already know about aliens, then that means that at some point an alien spacecraft landed on Earth, everybody was like, aliens are real, and that's fine, and then he's using them for his narrative fiction, so they're like, oh, okay, so aliens are a thing. We know that. Yeah. So, like, what? <laughs> so... Okay, so we're not. We don't need to. We don't need to dwell on this too long. The point is, they like the movie, uh, and it's. it's uh, it, they're gonna make it. It's gonna be a hit. And he goes on another date with Jennifer Garner, and then we start getting into weird eugenics. <laughs> right. So she wants to be with someone who's genetically superior, like she is. So she doesn't right. want to 
procreate with him, even though he makes her laugh and they have a lot of fun together. She says, I also think you'd make a good husband and a good father. Right. But he's fat and he has a snub nose. Yeah. So he's so, like, well. And so she, uh, she. she's And she's like, I'm under pressure to select the best genetic mate for uh, my offspring. Again, weird eugenics. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, well, I mean, Ricky of, Gervais is British. That's <laughs> Everyone in Britain either is into eugenics or being a turf. Yeah. Um, those are the only two options. Yeah. Um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe seems cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, so, like him. We like him. He spends yeah. a lot of time in the U.S., though. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, uh, but he gets called away on his date, right? Um, because his mother, who is in a nursing home, is near the end of her life. Oh, this is so sad. Okay, here's a question before we go into this. Yeah. If this movie does not take the that first turn into Atheist Town, mm-hmm. how would you have said the pro- the plot would have progressed yeah it's a good question um so i the first thing i want to say up front is i don't have a problem with the movie going into atheist town okay i have a problem i have a problem with the movie going into incel town in act three sure 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 um i am fine with the movie going to atheism town but um it is i mean but does it have to yeah so it's like i guess i guess the rest of the movie is about him becoming successful as a screenwriter and then him winning over Jennifer Garner. Um, if it was just a regular rom-com. Yeah. I, I guess it would progress like a traditional rom-com in a weird alternate universe. Right. I think that there would be... He'd probably... She'd find out about it. Yes. She'd break up with him. They'd get back together. He w- she'd do the... she the Am I a bet to you? Am I a fucking bet? <laughs> you know, that, that scene happens in every rom-com. Obviously, it was perfected in She's All That, but, right. but it happens in every rom-com. I think it because it's Ricky Gervais, he would have taught Jennifer Gardner how to lie, and so they would lie their way to success to the top, and then they would be like this kind of like a heist film right and then they would be like this doesn't make us happy we should just take what life gives us and that's make make the best of it that's pretty good i think that i would still watch that movie well i think you're a better writer than i am generally but oh, like thanks, <laughs> thanks pal <laughs> i i think yeah. i would be interested in seeing a movie where a, one guy knows how to lie and he has the ability to teach someone else how to lie does that yeah. then put too much pressure on that person are they a good person are they not a good person is that original person a good person for lying like that kind of dynamic would be interesting especially with someone as funny as ricky gervais is how his delivery is and someone who is just inherently plays good characters like jennifer garner that could be a really fun story to see play out but we don't go that way (laughs) no so instead of that uh we get to see ricky gervais watch his mother die and here's the thing is she's scared to die like we said and she's facing an eternity of nothingness and he says in what i thought the first time i saw it was a very moving scene right um, well he's really good in performing this yeah it, it is it is pretty good monologue but he he says no you're not gonna die or you, you are gonna die but you're not gonna face an eternity of nothingness you're gonna see everyone you've ever loved you're gonna get your own mansion there's just gonna be love and happiness and it's going to be wonderful. He, he invents, he, he lies and invents heaven. Right. He right? doesn't call it heaven because that no. doesn't exist. But right. he invents the idea of it. And all of the people in the hospital room who are helping are just like struck. Stunned. Yeah. Stunned. Because nobody else has thought about 
what happens after you die. Or nobody else knows. Right. So um, they're like, what else is there? Right. And and then the whole movie changes. Him, <laughs> the whole movie changes. There's a scene of him driving the morning after his mom dies for a full minute where, like, nothing happens. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, clearly this is the first time either of you directed a film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think at that point I was getting a snack, and I was like, did I miss anything? No, okay. No, you didn't. Um, so this is interesting, because what happens is word gets out, right? Right. And so everyone is congregating around Ricky Gervais's uh, house. And when I say everyone, I mean literally the population of the world is standing candlelight vigil at Ricky Gervais's house. Um waiting for him to come out and explain what's happening to them. Because, I mean, if you imagine a world in which there is no religion at all, no afterlife, nothing, and then someone introduces that idea, it obviously is a seismic shift in how you view morality right. and the importance of your own life and the lives of others. Right. Um, so this is being televised by literally every news station. There are people yes. who have come from a bunch of places all around the world to hear what this man who is seemingly nobody, has to right. say about it because, as we know, anything that anyone says is truth. Right. So he's, as you would expect, under a tremendous amount of pressure because right. things have gotten a little out of hand with the lying. Right. And uh, then we uh, get a scene in which Ricky Gervais comes out. And again, I just want to emphasize Ricky Gervais wrote himself into this film as a writer who originally wasn't getting enough respect and now <laughs> is explaining everything that is good and bad right. to everyone. <laughs> right. Based on his own limited human yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, on the one hand, I see how he would be the one person to be justified to write this of all the people out there because he does experience this reality in a different way. He's more sensitive to things, right? As we have talked about, when someone says something insulting to him, he reacts emotionally, that kind of thing. I don't think that other people in this particular universe could have that sense of empathy and self-compassion of like be kind like don't be a dick like as right. the basis of this morality all exactly of morality. exactly and it's you know pat and oswald had a stand-up bit on one of his albums from like a decade ago um called sky cake right and it was it, he, he basically pat and oswald talks about like you know, he was an atheist and his first wife was a Catholic and his, um, he, he's, he believes the creation of religion has been a net good for the world, right? Because mm -hmm. like before there was religion, it was just whoever was the biggest and strongest, whoever could crush everyone else around them, that was who was in charge. Right. And, um, if you tell someone that they need to be good and compassionate and charitable to others, um, and if they do that, they get a big piece of cake in the sky after they're dead. That's that's good for the world. That right. makes society run better. And um, I think, like, the, the Book of Mormon, like, the musical, um, that's basically, like, the same message. <laughs> it's right. like, you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone aren't religious people, but they respect what religion can do for the world, and they grew up around a lot of Mormons, so they, um, so they uh, kind of incorporated that into 
their musical. And if the film here had done something similar, which it starts to do and then takes a hard turn away from that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? it would have been, I think, much better. So here's my question. Yeah. This. <laughs> so if, if Ricky Gervais, his overall message about this movie is... God isn't real, but mm-hmm. this character creates God and makes the world change. Does mm-hmm. that mean that he believes that his way of thinking about life, God, spirituality, death, is the end-all view of it all? Are you talking about Ricky Gervais or his character? Ricky Gervais himself. Be- uh, then yes. Because yeah. that that I feel like is the part where I turn on him where it's like yes. I I believe what I believe. I was like as like why don't you're at a ten, why don't you bring it to about a four? Exactly. Right? Where it's like I believe what I believe, but if somebody I, I have a friend who grew up Mormon, I have family who are Mormon, and it's like if they want to believe that, like I'm cool with that. But it mm-hmm. feels like Ricky Gervais is that atheist subreddit where he's like he you're fucking he- idiot. He 100 percent is, yes. and I think that that's kind of where I take a turn in the movie of like I was on board until I'm really not. <laughs> yeah, and it that, that, it bugs me. <laughs> every every um, look up. Hang on, I'm gonna Google this, and I want you to do the same because <laughs> I think if the first hit comes back with what, yeah, uh, Google Ricky Gervais atheist photo shoot. Oh my god. Oh, oh no. (laughs) So, you know, your question, uh, is Ricky Gervais a walking atheist subreddit? Uh, Uh, Yes, yes he is. And he did a photo shoot. (laughs) That's so much. Okay, so now this, I I know that we got to talk about the movie, but I wanted to ask you, Tony, what do you think happens when we die? Yeah, it's a good question, and I don't know. Um, So uh, here's the thing, like my, my religious beliefs are, I think a little messy. Uh, I mean, as I'm we're, fond of t- we're both we both grew up Catholic, so that goes yeah, without we saying. Both grew up Catholic, <laughs> as I'm fond of telling people, I've permanently left the Catholic Church four different times. Uh, and, permanently, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's tough because I need, especially now, especially like in this era, I need that um, connection to a community for one thing but i need the guidance reminding me that uh we should be the powerful should be less powerful and the powerless should be um taking their place uh which is which is part of um part of what's in the gospels and part of you know what i was taught in a lot of years of catholic schooling right um so i need that but that's kind of why I cling to, like, whatever small parts of Catholicism I, I do cling to. But it's not because of afterlife, because I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. And, and, like, if I'm if I'm being absolutely honest and going, and we may cut this, but if I'm being absolutely honest and going into, like, the absolute depths of, like, what I think happens, it's like, well, it's probably just you experience kind of your brain death in extremely slow motion. So it's whatever you um, filled your brain with you know, throughout your life is probably uh, gonna 
kind of discharge for as long as you have consciousness, so you better hope you filled it with a lot of love and kindness and good people and, and start like that. That's really dark because I just watched The Office a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> but that's beautiful. I like that. I don't... Well, it depends. I mean, if, if they're playing the one where he steps on the George Foreman grill, I mean, that's really funny. Oh, it's great. It's the one that I play more often. <laughs> See, that, that's interesting because I, I feel the same when it comes to the comfort that certain things from Catholicism have brought me. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of strayed to more yeah. of a of a spiritual type of of just looking at everything like i don't i don't mm -hmm. i personally don't know but i like yeah. the idea of rejoining the collective consciousness mm -hmm. that that for some reason is more comforting to me than say a ricky gervais like everything just turns black and there's oblivion i don't right i don't i also have had personally like somewhat supernatural events happen to me that have mm. kind of opened my eyes to seeing things in a much different way not in the like i have jesus in my toaster kind mm, of right uh, uh, like experience but definitely things that were inexplicable and i'm like okay so there has to be something that i don't understand that none of us understand that explains everything and we might not know it now but we could so, like, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of hope in that whole thing. So, yes, I don't know. Absolutely. I think I think I was curious to ask you because you told me how much you loved this movie. And I thought, for somebody, because we both, like I said, grew up in the Catholic Church. I know what I've been taught. I have mm -hmm. a vague idea of what you've been taught, but you have gone to Catholic school for a lot longer than I did. I did six years only. But Yeah, I did a whole lot more than that. Yeah, um. so, so I was just curious – but yeah, I'm 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 a little different now. But also, yeah. like I say that now, but like I got a lot of problems with, um, basically everything the Catholic Church does. Yeah, um, I mean, organized religion is messy. Yes. Yeah. It's home to some extremely horrible people, and unfortunately, some of those extremely horrible people, you know, are bishops, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and r run it and stuff like that. So right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, deal with it. The, yeah. uh, that's why I do the writing that I do too, but I'll stop rambling. No, that's okay. I think it, it's interesting to talk about just because we both were raised within a certain structure. And then, yeah. you know, as an adult, I mean, that's kind of what that book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, <laughs> was about, where it was just like this girl who, whose parents were like, you can be whatever religion you want. And I never was given that. Yeah. That, yeah. No, I wasn't really. Yeah. That. So, so when I watch things like this, I really think about like, okay, I was born within this structure that provides comfort and rules for the people that are in my life. But what are the things that I value? And mm -hmm. then, you know, it's like Ricky Gervais is like, all right, but you are all idiots if you believe in this man in the sky business. And the, the way that he is like, no, this is the truth. And I'm winking at you from behind the camera and in my script <laughs> that I am correct right is is just maddening to me and i got really upset about it i was like i have to ask tony what where we are in this because i think it goes against the overall message of the film which i think is just don't be a dick and right. be kind to people and in the end as most stories are uh, and have that message of love is the most important thing. It doesn't matter who you are, whatever. But he, the way that he's saying it is like, no, but you're all idiots. 
Right. But also, love is really important. Yeah, well, the good news <laughs> is we're coming to Act 3. Um, and you know what? Um, he's talking to Jennifer Garner on a park bench. And again, Gervais wrote this script, so he wrote a scene where Jennifer Garner tells him that he's smart and kind and interesting and fun. Right. Um, so for him, love is being praised. By a hot woman. <laughs> don't forget. Don't forget. Um, so they're like, look, most of Act Three I don't care about, yeah. but the entire gist of it is Jennifer Garner keeps repeating, "I don't want to be with you because you're a poor genetic match," and Ricky Gervais being like, "But we're we get along well," and she's like, "Yes, but you're a poor genetic match," and it like it this is incel shit. Yeah, like I'm sorry, it, it is. is. It is when he tells. Rob Lowe at some point, um, she's a prize on your arm and your kids will be too. That is incel shit. Mm -hmm. That is that is a Chad and a Stacy and they're together and I'm not because I just happen to not win the genetic lottery even though I'm smart and funny and interesting. Right. Yeah, th um, these movies are quite a danger. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, it's interesting um, because uh, my, my takeaway from all of this is um, she thinks he's funny and whatever, but there are no scenes where they have a good time. Where he time. makes her laugh. No. Yeah. There are no scenes where they're hanging out and he's just like, look at the way that I see the world that is different. You know, like, right. I've seen those plenty of times in rom-coms and I'm just like, oh, that's, yes. that's cute. But we didn't you see any of that. just throw in another montage. Why, it's a second montage. Why not? Uh, take out the, take out something. There's yeah. plenty to take out. Take out that one minute of driving scene. Of driving! Of driving! The directing is so bad in this film because there's so much that would have been easy to cut and you'd miss nothing. Absolutely. And nobody was like, hey guys, we have an idea. Like, why would Jennifer Garner love him? Just because he talks to God? That's not, that is its own problematic reason. Yeah. Um, also at one point, the Ricky Gervais slips... Yeah, slips into a deep depression and looks like Jesus. Right, and she says, you look terrible. <laughs> yeah hey oh um, ha ha that could have been cut i'm just saying yeah <laughs> my favorite part of the movie though is probably the climax of the film because jennifer garner and rob lowe um are gonna get married right um and ricky gervais is in his jesus depression and sure enough coming in hey i need a man to come in and tell some who is the man best qualified to give advice about pursuing a woman that has made it clear she has no interest in you and you should stop pursuing her, but you should pursue her anyway. Well, that's Louis C.K. <laughs> and he comes comes in and he's like, you haven't lost yet, man, which presumably is what he said shortly before jerking off in no. front of whoever his opener was Boo. at Caroline's. Boo. Uh, but... <laughs> but uh, uh, it's uh, really shitty to see that scene now, and it's the climax yeah, of the film. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a lot. Almost washes the bad taste out of my mouth is that the next scene has John Hodgman in it, and John Hodgman's great. Mm -hmm. um, just the best. Um, he is the, I guess, clergyman. He's the, the priest uh, of this new religion, uh, for which the symbol is Ricky Gervais, uh, with his arms outstretched like Jesus on the cross, but he's holding two Pizza Hut pizza boxes because that's what he originally wrote his, like, moral uh, rules on. Yeah. His tablets. Yes. Uh, so he, like, stands up in the middle of the wedding, 
like the wedding vows are all like do you agree to be together for as long as you want to since you've determined you're the best genetic match for each other again it's like this is just a movie for people who are like i'm thinking of getting reconstructive surgery to get a better jawline and also on easter i post happy zombie jesus day <laughs> like yeah just ugh. so he stands up at the wedding he pulls jennifer garner away and they end up in love and it turns out they get married they have a kid the kid can also lie and that's the end fucking god damn it i know it's really sad it, th- this movie has so much potential i loved the for the first half i thought you watch the first i don't know 45 minutes of this movie um maybe even the first full hour of this movie it works yeah and then, oh boy, it does not work. Yeah, yeah, he lost me. He lost me when he called me an idiot. <laughs> yeah. It, it's an interesting, like we said, like there were a lot of directions that this could have gone, and I understand why it's on the blacklist because I feel like a lot of, especially white writers on the blacklist, want to do things that are like shocking and like, mm-hmm. I want people to think. But I don't, I don't know what the overall message is for this. Is it lying is good because in the end we're protecting each other? Is it lying is not good because if you it gets you to where you have a lot of money and a lot of status, you're still not going to be happy? Or is it you can lie to get a really hot lady to fuck you, but that's not okay. But it's okay because you'll end up together anyway. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This film doesn't know what it wants to be. Yeah. Um, other than a place for Ricky Gervais to vent its vent his spleen. Yeah, but you know, I still thought it was good. <laughs> uh, it's watchable. It's watchable um, compared. Okay, I think I'm just comparing it to Jeff Dunham, which has set the bar <laughs> so low that anytime so we watch low. anything better, I'm like, oh, this was good. <laughs> it's better than it's better than risky business, folks. It's not as good as Juno. Watch Juno before you watch this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I want to hear what reviews you found. I'm. I'm Almost positive we're going to hear some Catholic reviews. You're going to hear two Catholic reviews. Ooh! Uh, All right. The first is Harry Forbes writing for America Magazine. And we talked about America Magazine on the, on the last podcast, but that's the Jesuit um, magazine. Uh, those of a non-believing mindset, of course, may find the atheistic message of the film just their cup of tea. Believers of any faith will be deeply disturbed by that underlying theme. And from a strictly commercial point of view, does a largely sentimental movie-going public, one that makes It's a Wonderful Life, a perennial holiday favorite, want to hear Mark's tearful musings over his mother's grave that, despite all he has said publicly about that man in the sky, he knows she's really just moldering in the ground? And that's that's a good point, which is like, is there an audience big enough for a God's not real and you're stupid for thinking God is real movie? Ooh, in America, is there an audience big enough for that? Mm, in the big, I mean, there was in, enough for the film to break even. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the big cities, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, ironically, Gervais, who also produced and co-wrote and directed the film with Matthew Robinson, shows more range here than in his previous films. Yeah. Um, but he has written himself a tonally misguided script. I agree with that. Yes. His direction is uninspired. Yes. I agree with that. The gags involving truth and fabrication may bring a smile, but unfortunately they are not the thrust of the film. Too many of the jokes fall flat, and a few are simply crude. Um, 
Anna's growing realization that Anna is the Jennifer Garner character, that inner beauty is more important than surface perfection is an admirable, if commonplace, sentiment, but we have seen this theme dramatized more satisfyingly before. Ooh, very good review. Yeah. Um, And then going back, and again, I know I keep pulling from these guys always for reviews. It's our favorite reviewers, (laughs) you know, long-time movie reviewers. We love covering them. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Um, So uh, they only wrote one uh, paragraph on the film that I want to quote here, but I will say the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, in addition to being, like, generally terrible and complicit in covering up horrible abuses of power, um, they have a rating system for these films. Oh my god, what are they? (laughs) They have, and they basically correspond to like the the age appropriateness of the film. So A1, A2, and A3. Um, And I believe A3 is like, eh, this is really like teens and older, or maybe 17 and older. A1 is like, this is fine for everyone to watch. Um, But then they have two additional ratings. They have L, uh, which... I don't know exactly what it stands for. I think it's limited, something like that. The idea being, look, this film's okay, but there's definitely stuff in it that is not for everyone. Okay. Um, And so if you get into R-rated stuff or dramas or whatever, and they'll be like, okay, well, the film still has artistic merit, but, you know, it's definitely not something we want to broadly recommend. That's going to get an L. And then (laughs) they have O, and O stands for morally offensive oh Uh, i kind of wish that it was like a star system but there were crosses so it's like (laughs) they like are red crosses it's like three uh, crosses (laughs) um and this film uh pulled an o wow Uh, so it is not recommended by the usccb but also the usccb doesn't recommend things like reporting sexual abuse to state authorities that's true that's true (laughs) um The paragraph I want to quote here, along with his co-writer and co-director Matthew Robinson, Gervais launches an all-out sneering assault on the foundations of religious faith, such as has seldom, if ever, been seen in a mainstream film, despicably belittling core Judeo-Christian beliefs and mocking both the person and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Wow. Well, I mean, this goes, the last episode I mentioned that you know, it's good to have a critical eye with things, but also you can enjoy them if you want to. And I don't think Catholics can. <laughs> Just in general. Yeah, and if you're Catholic, which most of our listenership, let's be honest, um, is yeah. because I've been s- slowly skewing it that way by saying <laughs> subtly bigoted things against all other religions throughout the show. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um just uh don't um you, you probably aren't gonna love the main themes of this film or the entire second half of it yeah first half's fine yeah first half's fine and then as we have discussed it took a turn but i have some common sense media reviews these have real interested to hear what they have to say i have to be honest they were not as fun as I wished they were. Uh, There were a lot more than we have had. None as much as Juno. Juno had 160-something kid reviews and 64 parent reviews. This was more in the 20s for parents. Uh, So I have a couple. Uh, One is a Christian reviewer. They say, avoid this movie. If you have any faith... Wait, sorry. If you are of any faith that believes in God, especially Christianity, skip this movie now. It is blatantly and tactlessly anti-religion. It was infuriating to watch. We had to turn it off. At one point, a man in a mob of people says, I say, fuck the man that 
the guy that lives in the sky. That was the clincher. And it's a PG-13, so you only get one fuck word. Yeah, and that was the one. Uh, user Rentman says, Only to rebut, uh, I felt compelled to rebut the reviews that have been so awful on here not the greatest movie ever but clever and thought-provoking if you are low iq small-minded or insecure you will hate it i want more honest reviews like that someone who's like if you're so stupid don't watch this movie i'll be like okay i won't (laughs) that would be so nice uh there was one kid review 12 year old kid he says don't rent it i rented it and didn't watch it excuse me just because my mom read the common sense media review and not the parent reviews i keep telling them commonsensemedia.org is full of idiots (laughs) i love that i really i really hope uh really hope that's that's not true because we've really bet a lot on them not being idiots for this podcast i mean generally when i look through those reviews i do have to filter out quite a lot of dumb garbage but (laughs) This one was, you know, everybody was mad about it. There were a lot of Christian people in there who were like, this is anti-God, this is anti-Christian. There were... Which, to, to be fair, is accurate. Yeah, but they, like I said before, they take it so personally. And that's... It, it's hard to... It's hard to present something that people aren't going to be happy with. In, in a lot of ways like there are a lot of hard conversations that need to be had this is yeah, not a... about something like religion <laughs> yeah yeah and and but i don't think this approached that in a way that was nice <laughs> which goes against the whole message of the movie like i yes. said so i understand why there is there's a certain level of anger towards it but i'm also like it's just a movie it didn't even do that well there's good jokes in it yeah, I mean, you bring it, but you've articulated it so well, which is like the message of the film is this, but the film exists to do the exact opposite. Right. Um, and it's, I, I had not thought about it that way. And I'm like, well, shit, well, what the fuck? Why do I love this film? Why do I own this on DVD? <laughs> it's okay. I mean, we all have embarrassing movies that we watch and now we're just like, oh, that was not great. And I think that's kind of the point of the pod. That's kind of, yeah, we're doing that for society, we're but also doing... occasionally ourselves. Yeah, for like the, you know, 12 people who listen to this podcast, we appreciate that you like it and like that we think about these things. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are doing it in, in their own homes, but we like to share it. <laughs> <laughs> well, any other final thoughts on the film, Nadia? Like I said, it was good. I It was watchable. It's better than Jeff Dunham, not as good as Juno. Yeah, so that's our scale. The J scale, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think also Ricky Gervais is a very good uh, dramatic actor, and we get to see that. Yeah, yeah. he's he's actually, he, he has always been, I think, a, a decent actor. Better actor than he is a writer, I think, in many ways. A hundo, a um, hundo percent. I did like, I mean, um, I'm a big fan of The Office, like, big, oh, big sure. fan. But to see him do something so different, especially that scene with his mom where he's crying and the whole thing. That was a good scene. Great good scene. scene. There are a lot of really yeah. good moments in this whole thing. I personally probably won't watch it again unless someone's like, no. hey, guys, do you guys want to watch a movie? And they suggest it. I'd be like, okay, but I'm going to talk the whole time. <laughs> unless another one of your friends has a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I would say in closing, um, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry I made you watch this. No. Uh, Stacy, I'm sorry I made you watch this. Uh, Look, the overall message that I'm sending you is you have to love your younger self, buddy. You gotta love yeah, him. He was I'm going not, through it. I'm not there yet. <laughs> uh, I'm not there yet. Folks, I hope you're already there. Uh, and uh, if you are, I hope you keep listening to our show. Probably should have. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll see you next week. Bye! Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to live freely free. Cause there are million things to be. You know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high.